This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hey there, stackers. Another special episode in your feed. This is the last Stacking Deeds episode that we're going to play for the time being. We're going to bring it back from time to time. And we'll obviously have Alan and Crystal on the Stacking Benjamin show helping us with our real estate questions. And I like having these episodes in the feed also from time to time to remind our real estate investors in the audience that there is more to do. And when it's more of a general audience type theme that we have on the show, I think we might have the Tuesday show be a real estate focused stacking deed show from time to time. I'd love to get your feedback, by the way, uh, on how you like the stacking deed show. Just write me, Joe at stackingbenjamins.com. I'd love to talk about it or hit us up on social media or do us a favor if you really like it. Tell your friends about it. I've really enjoyed working with the stacking deeds team to get this done. Uh, Jasmine and, of course, uh, Crystal and Alan are just brilliant hosts and uh, obviously been working with Mom's Neighbor Doug for a long time. And who can forget about Ruth? So we've got a great show today. I wanted to put this one in the feed before we say goodbye to Stacking Deeds here on this channel uh, because you're going to hear one of the things that we're going to do a lot over there, which are some of these special episodes that you wouldn't expect, kind of like we try to do on Stacking Benjamins, try to surprise you a little bit. And this might be surprising. We're doing a March Madness theme show, which is something we didn't do with Stacking Benjamins. So very happy that this is here, but I did want to come on and tell you, if you love Stacking Deeds as much as I do, you're going to need to go subscribe over there. We won't be having this next week on the show here on Stacking Benjamin. So you'll need to subscribe on whatever app you're on right now or a different one. Just go subscribe. All right. That is it. On with the show. Live from the back of Ruth the Realtor's stretch-down car, it's The Stacking Deed Show. 
I'm Ruth's part-time mechanic, Doug. Get ready for some real estate March Madness. Speaking of madness, did you know I once tried out for the circus as a tightrope walker? The good news is the ringmaster told me basketball was actually my true calling because I was, and I quote, nothing but net. Today is a special Stacking Deeds episode for future millionaires. Want to know the fastest way to have $1 million in real estate equity? Our panel of real estate experts will battle it out in our first annual Real Estate Investing March Madness Bracket. And finally, I'll share some NCAA Hoops trivia that is sure to bust anyone's bracket. And now, a guy who couldn't play college basketball because of his three bad knees, it's Joe Salcihai. Long story on the knees, maybe another day. I'll explain that. Hey, everybody, I'm Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and welcome to a very special episode of the Stacking Deeds podcast. You know, most podcasts wait till they get to like 50 or 60 episodes before they have special ones, not us. We go right for the special ones right away because it's a big, it's a big, big, big week. Crystal, uh, who you got winning your bracket? That's a good question. The Not, Ohio State no. University. No. Oh, I knew you were going to. No. <laughs> no. Now we got to re-record all this thing. I got to go wash. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Go Sparty, Crystal. Go Sparty. Probably Michigan. I should, I should ask. Well, yes. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want U of M either, but Mr. Corey, Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, yeah, they're um. they're not in the bracket. Uh, this year. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean that. Did we laugh, Crystal? Uh, uh, did we? I don't, we should laugh. <laughs> you guys want to talk football? You guys want to? Talk- <laughs> no, no, that's over. <laughs> Football's over. <laughs> well, I love it when we can take current events and we can look at them through the eyes of real estate investing. Mm-hmm. And I know Crystal, you and Alan, you guys love doing the same. And we thought, hey. There's more than 16 ways to reach a million dollars. So we put those together. We're sitting here actually in the parking lot in the back of Ruth's car, but we're about to go into this building here where we have some guests with us. What do you guys think? Maybe fight over the top 16 ways to make a million bucks. Ooh, foreshadowing. <laughs> well, let's get out of the back of Ruth's car here and let's go in and meet, uh, meet our team. Well, if you're in the middle of your March Madness coverage, or even if you don't care about March Madness, we're doing March Madness the right way, as Crystal and Al and I talked about earlier. We brought in the Dream Team to help us argue over some brackets we put together. We have come up with our top 16 ways to make a million dollars in real estate. Mr. Corey has seeded them in a way that mm-hmm. we're already arguing about these seedings <laughs> that, uh, that this committee of one created. So that's number one. Number two, by the way, if you'd like to follow along with the argument we're about to have about the quickest way in real estate to a million dollars, go to our website, stackingdeeds.net or if you get our show notes, which are free and they'll be emailed directly to your inbox, we'll ha- we have a link in your show notes. So if you want to take out our bracketology and play along with this 16 ways to make a million dollars in real estate, uh, please play along with us. But either way, no matter what, we're going to have fun. Of course, we have Crystal and Alan here. Let me introduce the rest of our panel from the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. Our friend Mindy Jensen joins us. How are you? Joe, I am well, and I am always excited to talk about real estate. Thank you for having me. And you've been doing real estate for a good long time. Since God was a boy, or 20 years. (laughs) Or 20 years. I didn't know God was a boy 20 years ago. If I have to like 
start doing math, it's actually more like 25 years, which makes me feel super old. So since God was a boy, it's a good non-definite term. Non-definite terminology. And this gentleman has 22 doors to reselling, retired at 39 from his nine to five. He is the frugal gay on Twitter. Mr. Tom Brickman's here. How are you, man? I'm fantastic. I have not been in it for as long as Mindy, but 19 years is pretty darn close and I still have no idea what I'm doing. Tommy, you've got 22 doors. Tell everybody a little bit about your real estate experience. Eight are in Dallas, Texas. 14 are up in Toledo, Ohio. I have a mix of commercial, multifamily, single family, which are my current favorite in both states. I self-manage the eight in Dallas, and I have two different property managers for the 14 up in Ohio. And I'm working on door number 22 right now. So I collected rent this month from 19 people. Let's introduce our first round. So here's the way this is going to play, everybody. We have eight first round matchups. We'll define what the matchups are first. The winners will move on to the second round and we will figure out what is the best way for you to get to a million dollars in real estate. The deal is if you convince everybody on the panel, we move on. If we don't convince everybody right away, then we will go with the majority Well, let's go through these. It's going to be number one, active syndication versus fractional investing. And, and for people that are new to this, this stuff, or maybe they're not new, they just have never heard these terms before. Alan, let's go through these active syndication. What's that all about? That's basically raising money to buy a large apartment complex or, you know, multi-million dollar deal. And you're passing around the hat with a bunch of investors to, to get it done. Passing around the hat is a little, uh, okay. little, little loosey when to do that. <laughs> it's a big, big top hat attached to a monocle. He was throwing a few dollars and all of a sudden you have an apartment complex. Hat. I like that. And then number 16 here, fractional investing. What's that? I was introduced to fractional investing by Tom mm-hmm. buying a single share in someone's single family house. So that's number one against number 16. Then the winner of that will play the winner of eight, nine. Crystal, what's our number eight seed? We got new construction. And number and nine? Number nine, we got versus flipping. I think everybody knows what new we construction what is, is yeah. uh, flipping houses. Uh, we see that on, that's really easy to do because I see the property brothers do it all the time. So it's like, what, it takes mm-hmm. about 30 minutes and. Th- 30 minutes. It's super easy, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've seen this. Hours, but- uh, the second bracket, uh, the number four seed, Alan, who do we got? We've got house, house hacking as a strategy versus number 13, tax deeds. Which one's going to make I think a lot dollars? of house hacking where you take a part of your house, yep. rent it out. And then uh, tax deeds. What's that, Alan? That's basically buying deeds from a courthouse steps, the people who didn't pay their property taxes. And you can buy them at a discount and either try to claim the property or sell the deed back. You can add interest on top of that and, and make money that way. We'll have then uh, the winner of that matchup is going to take on the bottom of the bracket, number 12, Crystal. Oh, that's foreclosures and foreclosures going up against short-term rentals. How are foreclosures different than tax deeds? Foreclose is if you didn't pay your mortgage. Mortgage. Tax deeds is if you didn't pay your property taxes. We got one set of gotchas against the other set of gotchas. That's first and second place of the gotcha conference. That's how they made it to the the Mark That's right. All right. That's the top half of our bracket. Let's go to the bottom half. Uh, we've got number two against number 15. Tell us that matchup, Alan. Commercial real estate investing is number two seed against number 15 REITs, which are real estate investment trust, which is basically buying a mutual fund of 
office buildings or storage units. There's usually mm. a theme to go with a REIT and you're buying shares in that. Is that the most passive one on this list? It's very similar to fractional so, investing. It's, yeah, or fractional, yeah. I would yeah. say. You're right. And and I think there's a reason why Alan has those listed 15 and 16. Alan doesn't seem to be for the, <laughs> the passive approaches. Uh, uh, Crystal, back to you. Number 10 versus number seven. What do we got there? So number 10 is pay down your primary mortgage. And then number seven is midterm rentals. Midterm rentals, I think that's rentals of what? They're a step above the short-term rentals. Oh, they're so short-term. Usually a month. <laughs> yeah, a month long usually traveling nurses, mm-hmm. usually corporations, insurance companies will rent them for, you know, we want to rent this house for a year, but it's still furnished and it's still a higher rent than just doing a regular long-term rental. Insurance companies? That's interesting. Yeah, for fires, when people get oh. displaced because of fires, they have to place them till their house can get rebuilt. That's pretty common. And some people might be wondering if they're walking the dog, how is how does pay down your primary mortgage how does that equal investing success with real estate, Alan? That seems to be the number one way people become millionaires is just wait it out until their mortgage is paid off and let home appreciation do its thing. All right. I want to get into this now and we're not there yet. I don't understand how you have this as the number 10 seed because for me, this is the number 16 seed. But anyway, number three versus number 14. Multifamily investing. This is typically two units to four units, small multifamily. Number 14 is note investing. Note is just another name for mortgage. So you actually are investing in mortgages and people don't know this, but you can buy and sell mortgages on a a black market or third party market. You can buy notes and mortgages that are delinquent at a discount at 50 cents, 60 cents on the dollar and either foreclose on the property or renegotiate a new mortgage. I can see Mindy standing behind the easy mart here in town. Come here. I got a mortgage. Got a mortgage. I'll sell you. What do you think? I'm there at eight o'clock at night on Tuesdays. (laughs) Wearing the overcoat. Uh, And then last crystal, number 11 versus number six. So we have vacant land and we have long-term rentals. Which is a little bit longer than midterm rentals. (laughs) A smidge. It's in the name. All right. That's, those are our brackets. Number one through number 16. So I'm going to just open this up, guys. Who wants to kick off one of these contests? Let's start eliminating some competitors. I want to start with number 10 versus number seven. Pay down your primary mortgage versus the midterm rentals. And as I understood the rules, since I chose the bracket, I get to make my pitch. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Okay. I think that absolutely you could become a millionaire when you bought your house in the 60s or 70s for $20,000 and then you owned it forever, you paid off your mortgage and now it's 2023 and your house is worth a million five or whatever. But when you're paying $500,000, I don't really see this same scenario playing out in 20 years. Mm. So I think paying down your primary mortgage is not going to be the fastest way to a million dollars in real estate equity. On the other hand, midterm rentals can be an excellent investment opportunity. You are a minimum of 30-day stays, which gets around the short-term rental restrictions in almost every city unless and in almost every HOA. Um, Like Tom said, you can rent them out to an insurance company. In my area, we had a fire a year ago that took out 1,100 houses. Mm -hmm. 90 mile an hour winds. It was a horrible thing. 
1,100 families are displaced instantly. We already had a shortage of houses around here. So some of these long-term rental properties have been turned into midterm rentals. The insurance company doesn't want to sign a one-year lease. They want to sign a three-month lease with the option to renew and renew until the house is built. You cannot build 1,100 houses all at once. So I have a very big opportunity for midterm rentals in my area for the privilege of providing a furnished house and shorter term leases, because they only want three months at a time, they will pay me a lot more. So I think that I will make more money as a midterm rental landlord than just by paying down my primary mortgage. Tom, you're not in your head. Because I'm right. I, I mean, I agree, Mindy. I have to agree with you on all that. Absolutely. Even without, I think this is all about pay down your primary mortgage is the slow boat to a million bucks. Anybody yes. not on that train? Anybody Anybody think number seven midterm rentals not moving on? All right. That's the first one. The first winner is winner, uh, winner. midterm rentals. So active syndication is against? Fractional investing. Fractional. I'm going to go active syndication and I'm going to explain why. I've seen the returns much greater from an active syndication where I can put in 50,000 and in three years I can see quarterly payouts from that active syndication than some of the fractionalized real estate. There are some, when one of them came up, I'm like, that's the worst neighborhood in Toledo. Why are you selling shares to this house? Like I would, I don't want to drive there. Why would I want to invest in this? So I've seen some of that in the fractionalized side. The active syndication usually isn't bringing you the, horrible neighborhoods. It's bringing you the 400 units on a value-add property in an up-and-coming neighborhood in the right city where it just makes more sense. So if I'm having to go head-to-head with these two, I'm going active syndication versus fractional real estate. Alan, you're nodding your head. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I I think it comes down, you're always going to make more money if you're actively involved. And I think the word active tells me I'm going to make more money. Fractional is a completely passive way of investing. And anything that's passive, it's it's the slow route to, to riches. So which side of active syndication? When you put in the word active here, Alan, you're the syndicator is what you're talking about. Yeah, you're you're the sponsor, you're the GP, general partner, you're the one calling the shots, you're you source mm-hmm. the deal, you're renovating the deal, and you're funding. You're the one bringing in the money. Well, yeah, you're you're bringing in other people's money. So those people's money are yes. the passive investors. I'm the active person putting their money to work. All right. Active syndication versus fractional investing. Anybody on the other side of that? Nope. Everybody, Everybody's in. Active syndication makes it into the next round. I feel like we did the two that we thought were really easy. Can't wait to see what comes up next. Crystal, you got one? House hacking versus tax deeds. Yeah, so let's go down of there. Of course, I'm going to vote for house hacking because that's what I did too. I like that idea just because you, you get to... You know, live in one place and have your rent pretty much subsidized, you know, by the other unit. Tax deeds, I feel like the learning curve is too high and you have to wait it out because I know a lot of times they have the redemption period. They can keep paying it, you know, off and you just you start from zero again. So I feel like that's a lose lose. I think it's going to factor in a lot in later rounds too. just just how complicated these things are. Like we're talking fastest way to a million dollars. And if the education period is long. But then it's easy. I mean, that that, that might factor into it. Uh, Mindy, what do you think about this one? I think tax deeds are incredibly complicated. Every state's different. 
the learning curve is huge and you could get really, really lucky. Mm-hmm. You would use up all of your luck forever to <laughs> hit the million dollars. There are people who have become very lucky with a tax deed. It's a strange confluence of events that happen, negative events that happen to someone else mm-hmm. that allows you to win. So I think that house hacking is a much better strategy, uh, much safer. It's it's more active. You are in the driver's seat. You are having roommates or having people next door to you in like a duplex, triplex, quadplex situation. But you are able to use leverage to buy this. You are able to um, just be more in control of your destiny than waiting for somebody else to make a payment on a tax property or on a tax bill. So I like house hacking a lot better. Do we get a third there? Uh, yeah, you got a fourth from, from, or am I the third? Yeah. I mean, house hacking, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of house hacking. Tom already mentioned he's a fan of house hacking. So maybe I'm speaking for Tom. All right. House hacking moves on. Alan, you're the only one that hasn't picked one from the first round. And I'd like, if you don't mind to go down to this bottom part of the bracket, either the three, four team matchup or the 11, six. So we now then have one from each quarter of the bracket. What do you think? Yeah, let's go 11-6. Vacant land is 11-6. Long-term rentals, to me, long-term rentals all day. I like it that you close on a property and you start making money on day one. Vacant land, you're still paying property taxes. You've got some liability concerns and you're you're basically hunting for a buyer. Sure, you can maybe do a double close in the right situations, but it's just such high volume and to me, a little bit higher risk uh, vacant land compared to long-term rentals, which is just guaranteed. So I'm long-term rentals all day. Krista, you co-host the show because of the fact that you're somebody that's really dipping your foot in the water and owns just a few properties. I, I know nothing at all about this stuff. Vacant land seems to me to be bad because of the fact that, uh, that, that the, the carrying cost would be high. I mean, don't you have to keep a larger reserve? Krista, would you think you could have to keep a larger reserve because you don't have a renter? I'm going to say no. So for me, I actually like the vacant land idea. And let me tell you why. Oh, you want vacant you can, land. Yes. Yep. That That's one reason. And then another reason, you have so many options to start making money too from day one. Because I have people that want to park RVs on this land. I, you, you know, you have a lot of unlimited options from from day one. You can pay, park your boats in my, in my land, you know, park, whatever you want, or you can actually get the ball rolling on building something. Cause let's say you build a fourplex, you'll spend 500 K building a fourplex. And then that could be worth 800 K. So there you go. And it takes what maybe it can take about seven, eight months in a perfect world to build something. So there you are. In seven months, you can have 300K. What's interesting is we do have vacant land as an 11, but if you decide to turn vacant land into new construction, we've got new construction as an eight. Ah. I want to share, I just bought a piece of vacant land from the city for $150. I didn't buy it because I would go with vacant land versus the short-term rental. I bought it because the city wouldn't maintain it properly. Mm -hmm. So I mow it. It makes my property look better. When I go and sell that property in five, 10 years, I've got a double lot. I can put a fence on it. I can put a garage on it. I can do whatever I want with that property. So I'm still going to go long-term rentals, but I bought that lot because it was $150 and it adds value to my property. So anybody else for vacant land? We got Crystal for vacant land. Everybody else on long-term rentals? I'm on long-term rentals. Ah, Lost. I'm sorry, Crystal. Crystal goes down. 
Crystal, there's a lot there. I didn't think of the fact that there's lots of ways to to decrease that carrying cost. Parking is getting bigger and bigger. And just similar to Tom, like the city had a program. The city was selling them for a dollar. That's that's why I picked them up. So a lot of times don't sleep on. Oh, and there's land banks, too. City of Chicago also has land banks. So that's usually why people go into the vacant land arena in the first place. It is because of a city program. I think it's worth mentioning that we're not saying these are bad investments, yeah. but the, the bracket oh, yeah. is the speed to a million dollars. <laughs> exactly. Well, well this is clear, Alan. I'm glad you made that point because these are the top 16. And mm-hmm. we've talked about this in past episodes. There's a ton of different ways to make money. These are the top 16 ways. That's the first half. Mindy, I guess we're back to you then since we've kind of finding an order here. Uh, which which one of the four left do you, would you like to go on the attack with? New construction versus flipping. New construction versus flipping. And the winner of this one is going to go up against active syndication, the number one seed. What do you, this is an eight, nine. This is this the is an eight, nine. <laughs> I'm going to go with flipping and I'm going to tell you why. I like to be in control and I have no control over the builder on new construction. And your builder will promise you the world when you sign the contract to, which is his contract. I think this is very interesting. When I am buying a house that's already built, I write a contract that the Colorado Department of Real Estate has paid their attorneys to write. Everybody uses the same contract, except builders who are building new construction. They write their own contract. It's eight pages long. It is very weighted towards the uh, builder. It is not at all weighted towards the buyer. They have basically no rights at all. And the builder will tell you anything. And then there's a delay and another delay and another delay. And some of them are outside of their control, but some of them aren't. And you're not buying new construction at a discount. You're buying new construction at top dollar. You might be able to get into a new neighborhood, one of the first properties, get that built, own it, sell it. They raise prices as the neighborhood uh, fills up. So your property, your your unit might be 500000 and they might be selling it at 575 at the end of the neighborhood fill out. So... Maybe you can make $75,000, but again, you are paying closing costs and commissions when you sell it. So it's not, it's not the flex you think it is. Whereas flipping, I can get some dumpy old property. I can make it beautiful on my own terms. I can sell it. I'm a, I'm an agent, so I don't really have the, the closing costs that other people do, but I'm in control of my cost overruns and I can make it look amazing on my own. I can source individual things, whereas the new construction, they're like, which floor do you like? Option one or option two? You have to pick these two. And I'm like, well, I don't like either of them. They're like, well, pick one. <laughs> you can't bring your own in. There's a lot of, you give up a lot of control in new construction. Plus, I'm sorry, I am very good at what I do. Some of these contractors are awful. There is a lot of crappy construction in new construction. So when people are buying them, that makes me cringe. Is that just finding the right partner though, Mindy? Finding the right partner for what? The right builder. Oh, it, there are some good builders out there. I would you know, love to meet them. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tom was not his head the whole time, so I'm inclined to go to him. But Alan, you're the one, before we go to Tom, you're the one that put new construction ahead of flipping. So what do you say to Mindy there? 
Mindy swayed me on this one. I've done both and I've continued to do both. Uh, new construction is a lot about timing. So with the right timing, you can be a millionaire really quick. Uh, but you roll the dice a hundred times. I feel like you're going to 51 to 55% of the time, long-term rentals going to win out, especially with market swings and interest rate swings and, and things like that. Also flipping, you can always pivot to a rental and usually the cash flow spread is going to be much better than trying to rent a new construction that you just paid premium for. Now, Tom, serious head nod from you. I've been flipping since I was 21. I mean, and I didn't even know I was flipping. I was just buying the ugly ones because that's what I could afford. And then I'd make them a little bit better and then I'd sell it off and then I'd buy something nicer and then I'd sell something nicer. And then I'd, I mean, I have can definitely get to a million quickly flipping because I've bought those hoarder houses and the crack houses and all of those mm -hmm. and turned them into something beautiful and made them the nicest one on the street. So I'm a, a big flipping advocate. I just love the idea of upgrading the neighborhood. I think that's just exciting from a community aspect. Crystal, you on board with that? No. So I'm just like going to say. like new construction. <laughs> I'm going to say because when, when you're flipping, Mindy said, I don't like surprises. So that's why I wouldn't pick flipping because a lot of times you get into some crazy situations with some of the flips. Like sometimes it ends up being a complete knockdown and then you may as well, now you're paying to knock the property down and then you have to do new construction in the first place. I think that's a good point. There are always surprises. The only yeah. thing I can guarantee you in real estate is you open up a wall yeah. and you will find something like, huh, I didn't expect that. So you're right. You're absolutely right. And I always forget that people hire contractors. My husband and I do almost all of the work ourselves on our flips. So we're not dealing with that. But when we do deal with that, every once in a while, we'll find somebody who is just like, oh, I can't believe I had to hire you. I can't believe I have to fire you. This is a horrible oh. experience all the way around. So if I was dealing with contractors all the time, I may be not so adamant about the flipping. But you know, when it's when I'm doing the work and I have a deadline, I'll stay there till 10 o'clock at night to get the stuff done because I know I have a deadline. Whereas your contractor, he's like, well, 459, that's close enough to five. Bye. <laughs> yeah, 430 is close enough to five. See ya, gotta go. Doing a flip right now, and I'm gonna end up 10,000 over original estimates because once we started breaking up the kitchen, of course, we found stuff. And I mean, I get it, but I also have a solid team. Mm -hmm. So if one contractor is not working out, I'll, I'll lean on another, but I've been working with them for 15 nice. years. And then when I really struggle, I'll be like, go up to Ohio. Cause I can't find help up there. And, and they will. So I think, uh, you know, I think we talked about this before Mindy about just building your team mm -hmm. and, um, having multiple different options. So if one of them doesn't work out and I mean, I've had contractors take off with money mid project and they ask for a draw and then I don't see them again. I don't work with mm -hmm. them again, obviously, but, I, I do know that the, you're you're definitely going to have surprises once you start opening up walls and, and that, but I'm still going to go with... Uh, Flipping. I just wanted to back you, Crystal, because <laughs> I, I know about Sorry. those, but I'm still going to go Flipping. Flipping versus... And Crystal, that still makes it yeah. three to one, so it means Flipping's going to move on. But it was it was a little bit, there was a little bit of the eight, nine there going on, a closer match, maybe the closest one we've had so far. Tom, you're up next. We got the 12.5, the 15.2, and the 3.14 left. I'm going to go 12.5. 12.5. Foreclosures is the number 12 versus short-term rentals. What are you thinking? I've bought multiple foreclosures over the past 20 years, and 
personally, I know that if you get the right foreclosure, you can turn it into a short-term rental. So this is kind of a, a tough head-to-head. And I've made a lot of money buying foreclosures that are houses that went back to the bank. Even the one that I'm just finishing now up in Ohio was a bank-owned. It's really ugly, but it was really good bones. Bought it, fixed it, renovated, rented it out. And I've got $20,000 in equity off the bat just by buying that foreclosure. So I'm going to go foreclosures. And can I turn my foreclosure into a short-term rental? I guess that's my question. <laughs> you can turn it into whatever Both. you want. But the special, the, so the specialty I, being being foreclosure there. Tom, though, is the foreclosure, once again, is the guy that knows nothing about this. Is it is the foreclosure market overstated? Like, I feel like, you know, I see all these people on television, on the internet, it's going, oh, all you do is you hang out at the courthouse and on X day you get this whatever. And from everybody I've talked to who's in this market, you've got a, a bunch of sharks that hang out there you know, as the foreclosed and, and man, you got to know the right people. You got to be in on the exact patient. timing. So yes. patient. Yeah. Is that hard to break into? I, I bought one on the, on the courthouse steps once mm. and they looked at me like I was an idiot. I was in flip flops and a tank top. And I just, I had, I didn't know that you could bring a cashier's check. So I had $10,000 <gasps> in my pocket and that was everything that I had to my name. Whoa. I was, I was much younger. And I mean, it was like in my cargo shorts and then I'm nervous all day because I'm standing there with every everybody. Everybody knows. <laughs> and I, I, no one would bid against me. They all thought I was an idiot. I bought this condo for $9,501. She gave me a handwritten receipt. I had to break into the condo. Um, but that one I did well with. Um, but I had friends that went back two weeks later and they bought these $6,000 and $8,000 condos. And there were unrecorded mortgages on them. So they both lost their properties. Oh. I got mine. And I and I was on pins and needles for the two years because they could come back and get it. And I had put a lot of money into it. I had paid off taxes. I had done everything to it. So it was a beautiful unit. Um, I even lived in it at one point because I'm like, where can I live for cheaper than this? All I have is HOA dues. So I'm going to do this. So it was a great property for me. But yes, it is super. On some of those, it was insane watching these people bid on these complexes for a million something dollars. And I'm... Shaking with my ten thousand over in the corner, <laughs> so I I would not do that again because I felt like I dodged a bullet. And my two friends that went back two weeks later, and they did make them nice, and they did collect rent on them for a while till the people surfaced with these unrecorded mortgages. Damn. But I would not do that again from my experience with buying on the courthouse steps. Tom, would you wear cargo pants again? <laughs> with 10k a hundred percent and flip-flops i don't care i'll have people ask me for headshots and i've got my hat on i don't care i'm this is me if you don't like it then i can't do it did, did you know you wanted that particular condo when you went to the steps i did oh, okay. i had a friend at a title company she had um done a title search for mm. me so there was nothing recorded i paid her 99 bucks and so i knew and and the reason i had this i lived in the complex already and there was a very public fight with the owner and the HOA where they would like scream at each other. So I already kind of knew a little bit of the history. I didn't know the full story. But um, yeah, I, I knew I wanted to buy that one. I was familiar God. with the area. Alan, you with them? This is tough because it's a 12-5 seed and uh, I did seed these. But uh, it's you can make money, so much money in both. Like we just had Lauren Keene on the show and she's making $28,000 a month on, on nine short-term rentals. I mean, that's, uh, you know, reinvest that into more short-term rentals or, you know, what do something with it. You can get to a million really fast. I just feel like I love buying things with leverage. 
meaning debt with mortgages, you can't buy foreclosures with debt or you have to come buy it in cash. You got to, or wear cargo pants. Like, like mm. it seems like that's the way forward. <laughs> you need that big cash up front to acquire a foreclosure and then you got to go refinance it. I just find that too limiting and I'm going to lean to short-term rentals. Crystal or Mindy? I am really torn on this one. I think it's very interesting that it's a 12 and five seed because at first glance, I was like, oh, short-term rentals all the way. But then, because in my area, there aren't any foreclosures. Mm-hmm. Houses just aren't going into foreclosure. I think I've seen one in the last year, maybe two. They just don't come up. People sell them. Mindy, it's in the market. responsible community. <laughs> yeah, I live in the responsible community. No, I just, there's, it's, it's such a hot market that you can sell your property if you can't make your payments and not have the foreclosure on your, on your record. Um I have been to the the auction once and it was kind of disheartening. There was mm. one property that I wanted to buy and it got pushed to the next month or whatever. They got a continuance. So the only property that was available, I was watching it and it was listed at like 300000 And some guy comes in, he's like, 500000 I'm like, that was your bid? That's, yeah. like, that's a lot. Dude. You got this house and... It's worth probably six fifty, so he got a steal, mm-hmm. but he had to have a check for five hundred thousand right then. So I think it's easier to get into short term rentals. You can do it <laughs> and test the waters. I'm just thinking about Tom Shorts. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, hey Tom, are you happy to see me, or is there half a million dollars in your pants? <laughs> <laughs> Why has he got to make a choice? <laughs> Goodness. Uh, yeah, I think I think Mindy and I are aligned. You have to have a million dollars to make a million dollars in foreclosures quickly. And I, I mm. almost feel like that's an unfair advantage. Yeah, I would say in, uh, my, to make mine as quick as possible. They both seem like a lot of work, but the, the good thing that gives uh, short-term rentals the advantage is that you can hire a property manager to take care of all that stuff. So I would, I would do the short-term rentals because I don't want to do all that work, but I could hire someone to do all that work. That cuts into the, cuts into your profit margin. I don't care. Slow boating it to a million though, Crystal. (laughs) That's all right. Yeah. So wait a minute. Mindy, Mindy, where did you come down? You came down on short-term I came down on short-term rentals. I do want to say that if you are considering investing in short-term rentals, please, please, please read your local. Oh, yeah. statutes and be prepared to pivot because short-term rentals are starting to become um, a A nuisance. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Becoming, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Oops, sorry. This is a midterm rental. (laughs) We got two left. So Crystal, where are we We headed next? Multifamily versus note investing. The three uh, versus the 14. Three, yeah, I'd say multifamily. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> I will jump in and say I agree with her because I think note investing, again, you have to be very, very lucky to buy the right note. Mm-hmm. Um, a performing note, a note where the borrower is actively making payments and is up to date is going to be sold at closer to face value, a non-performing note where somebody is delinquent Delinquent. on their payments. You can bring them back up to to performance, but for the most part, you're going to be able to get in cheaper on that. And then you're going to have to foreclose on them. And that's just 
a lot of headaches. So multifamily seems to be a lot easier and a lot faster. Because no, with note investing, I mean, in many cases, you're kicking somebody out of their house. Judges mm. aren't super excited to kick people out of their house mm. without continuances and second chances and more opportunities. And it can take a really long time. Damn. So fast track to a million multifamily every day. I got to share a note story real quick because I'm actually going through a foreclosure on a oh. note that I own because they stopped paying. Um, I agree 100% multifamily, even though I hate some of my multifamily because the tenants are always complaining about each other and Karen's outside smoking. And then <laughs> it's just, I I can't. That's why I'm big on single family right now. But I am doing a foreclosure. I just wrote a check this morning for the foreclosure. He stopped paying. Um, I've done notes that have worked out flawlessly. I get poached 47 times a day from people trying to buy my performing notes. I only own the one right now that I'm doing the foreclosure on. It's a great way to make extra money. I work really hard to sell it. If I want someone to finance me, I explain, you know, this is how you can make this much money. You know, you want 165 and then you're going to earn 8% interest and all this. So I think that it's a way to generate income, but I think I'd go multifamily all day, especially with my experience in these different notes that I've held. Um, because you have to get lucky with the right person paying you. And when they stop paying, it's expensive. And this will be probably eight to 10 months from the time they stop paying to the time yeah. that I'm going to get the house back. And uh, it's uh, a bigger risk, in my opinion. So I'm all about Karen smoking outside. Speaking of multifamily, Tom, I, when I was a financial planner, I had a client who sold their multifamily for the same reason that you're talking about. They had uh, neighbors upstairs, downstairs in this duplex. Upstairs couldn't stand downstairs. They hated each other. So when upstairs ended their lease and they moved out, they turned on all the water, stopped up all of the, uh, stopped up everything. Didn't think at all about my client, the owner. They just wanted to piss off the people below by having all kinds of water come through the ceiling. Terrible. I mean, I've, I've had that and I have a multifamily right now. And when the last tenant moved out upstairs, I'm like, I told the downstairs people they've been there 10 years. I'm like, you guys can move out. You can buy the place. Or you can rent the whole place. And they're like, we're going to move out. And like a week before they were supposed to move out, they're like, I can't find anything. We'll rent the whole place. Nice. And they've been renting the whole place. Wow. So I, I haven't had that issue. That's cool. um, and I would love for them to buy it because they've been there 10 years. They've raised their kids. They have two mm. teenage kids and they're just loud. So anyone I put upstairs is going to complain about two kids oh, yeah. in their definitely teenage kids. So that's my negative with multifamily but i'm still gonna go there versus no yeah all right so multifamily wins the day alan commercial versus reit so uh, this is the one nobody wanted anybody want to take a stand <laughs> on commercial property versus reits i mean commercial is the big bucks to me it's it's the bigger the property commercial deals are usually bigger the, the bigger chance if it goes up in value in 10 percent you're you're closer to a million than maybe a, a smaller mm. price building so to me this just comes down to price and reits running your own rate sure you'll make a million dollars quick but buying into a reit that's why it's a 15 seat i don't see any way to build wealth quickly it's very safe it's very conservative investing and that usually does not mean speed to wealth. I know a ton about REITs and how they work. And mm. the reason you get into REITs is not to get to a million dollars quickly. When I was a financial planner, if I we had REITs in somebody's portfolio, it was not to, to get there quickly. It was a good, safe place to be. So I'm on I'm on board with that one. Anybody anybody want to come to REITs defense? 
Quick Money and Reads, nobody. Bunch of, mm-hmm. bunch of, remember, this is an audio podcast, guys. You can't just shake your head. Oh, we cannot. No. <laughs> that's hilarious. Nope. We all shook our heads. <laughs> all right. That's the end of our first round. Man, we've Ooh. got lots of excitement coming up. We'll that be was back. Intense. That was intense. I, 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 got, I, I ain't going to lie. Yeah, but didn't you think we would have fought more? Well, we did a lot of advocating for our positions and who had the best persuasive skills were able to get their get their team. I think everyone wants a ride home after this, and so they're just (laughs) (laughs) Well, we will be back with round two with more of Crystal, Alan, Tom, and Mindy uh, right after Doug gives us uh, today's basketball-related trivia question. Hey there, Dieters. I'm neighbor Doug, Ruth the Realtor's roadside assistant. They say a penny saved is a penny earned. You think that's why Ruth always pays me in pennies? Good news for you. Today's trivia question is a slam dunk. In the 80-year history of the NCAA basketball tournament, what small Midwest city has hosted the most tournament games? I'll be right back to answer after I finish working on my jump shot because it's never too late for a kid to dream, right? Hey, I'm Jimbo, and this is my dog, Spot. And we're Jimbo and Spot's roofing. Spot is pronounced roof. And we're the number one roof installers in your local town. You're saying it wrong. It's roof. We're from the south. We're not from California. It's pronounced roof. Forget it. I'm Jimbo from Jimbo's Roofing, and this is Spot from Spot's Shingles. Oh, what's up, Spot? Cat got your tongue? Anyway, call us. For all your roof leaks, it'll be a treat. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country And I also think about some of our active service members want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. 
Hey there, Dieters. I'm underhand free thrower and fish that saved Pittsburgh loving Ruth the Realtor's part-time mechanic, neighbor Doug. In the eight-decade history of the NCAA basketball tournament, what small Midwestern city has hosted the most tournament games? This Midwest Ohio college town is a population of just 130,000, yet has hosted a whopping 125 tournament games, which is more than 40 games ahead of the second all-time host, Kansas City, Missouri. It may be the birthplace of aviation, but it's the king of college basketball tournament games. Of course, I'm talking about Dayton, Ohio. And now, back to round two of our Real Estate Investment Bracket Challenge with Tom Brickman, Mindy Jensen, and our hosts, Crystal Hammond, Alan Corey, and Joe Salcia. On to round two. Round two, it's going to get a little more interesting. We're going to have active syndication against flipping. Wow. Uh, house hacking against short-term rentals. Commercial real estate against midterm rentals. Multifamily against long-term. So short, mid, long, all make it. The buy and hold strategies all alive and well. So Alan, which one you want to carve up first for the second round here? I'm jumping in on what I think is the most difficult matchup, long-term rentals, which I think mostly that's single family uh, versus multifamily because multifamily is typically also long-term rentals. So I really think this is a single family multifamily matchup. Is that how well, everyone else reads this as well? Yeah. Uh, that's how I'll read it at now. Cause it's your show. Oh, okay, great. All right. <laughs> uh, wow. This is fun. Let's, let's make up new rules so that, uh, my, mine win. But the way I look at it is House when you have multifamily, rules. you can really scale down the expenses Two single family houses. I've got two roofs to worry about two pest control bills, two landscaping bills. But if I have a duplex that I, that I cut it in half, I only have one roof to worry about one landscaping bill. So to me, it's, these are very much similar strategies. One's just scales. Also, you know, if there's a vacancy, it doesn't hurt as much. I'll have half the income coming in rather than a zero income coming in with a single family. So, mm. so my vote is multifamily all day. It's my first true love. Don't tell my wife that. <laughs> but is the standard deviation on my, not to get into the discussions with your wife? Let's uh, we'll table that for later. But the multi the multifamily discussion though isn't the standard deviation higher? Meaning that that there's a little more to know. So, so so jumping into multifamily, I think makes a newer investor more nervous. So you'd have to have seasoning. There's this time. Versus a long-term rental, you're buying just one door. Does the education, the seasoning, the knowledge level make up for the fact that you can, we're only talking about a million dollars here. Like I think if we're talking $15 million, multifamily probably wins all day. I mean, this is small multifamily because we have a commercial in the bracket too. So that's five units or more. So this is a small multifamily, which is two to four units. I don't think there's any learning curve because you're using the same loans as you would for a single family Same rules. Same rules, same contractors, same leases. Everything's exactly the same as you would with a single family, as long as it's four units or fewer. I work with a lot of new investors, and typically we're, I'm encouraging them to go more towards the small multifamily because it's a little more conservative. So if you're not collecting rent from this side, you're getting rent from the other side. And it just makes the blow a little bit easier if they have to cover the mortgage and have to do an eviction and do this and that, it's just a little, you know, and I'm talking duplexes mostly. We got two votes, Crystal, Mindy. Oh yeah. Same. Yeah, I agree. The multifamily, uh, for the reasons that Ellen said, you don't have to buy 
multiple roofs and multiple all the other stuff. Wow. So that wasn't even close. Unanimous. Multifamily brings it home. All right, Mindy, back to you. Let's do midterm versus commercial. Man, we're going to slug it out again. Yeah. I don't know a lot about commercial. I don't do commercial real estate. I see a lot of potential problems in the future with commercial real estate. When you, when uh, we're talking commercial, there's a lot of things that fit into that bracket. There's uh, larger multifamily properties. There's office space. There's commercial like uh, strip malls and things like that. So from the perspective of larger multifamily, I would say commercial would get you there faster, but you may not be able to afford it as a newer investor. From the position of office space, I have a friend who is a commercial agent and she said, everything that you've heard about office space is not even true. It's way worse. Nothing mm-hmm. is renting. Everything's sitting. The only thing that's renting, some guy carved up this one building into these small single offices. Um, think a psychiatrist or a radiologist who needs just a small space to look at these uh, x-rays all day long. Um, he said, she said, those things are renting. He can't even uh, keep the, he doesn't have anything open. He just finished carving them up. But mm-hmm. regular office buildings are sitting forever. So in that regard, I would go with midterm rentals because your commercial space is going to cost you money regardless of you having a tenant in there or not. So you still have to pay taxes. You still have to like keep the electricity on. You still have to, you know, maintenance, uh, outside landscaping, et cetera. So if you have a commercial building that is not residential, I would not, I would go with midterm. So it depends on what. Mr. Alan Corey says is commercial in the context of this particular (laughs) bracket. Yeah, I I was just trying to debate that because you made a very good point about office, but then self-storage could be commercial, uh, multifamily, five units or more could be commercial. Let's say it's non-residential commercial and um, let's lean into that. Yeah, if it's self-storage, then all day long. I mean, self-storage, try to find a self-storage place near you that has an open space. They don't. You call them up. Do you have anything available? Nope. I got a three-month waiting list. There's there's nothing. They We need more storage everywhere. So if it's storage, all day long, you're going to make a million dollars tomorrow. Um, because people are hoarders. Because people are hoarders. <laughs> it's, we need it's stuff. It's so sad. I own a commercial yeah. space, and mine was a pizza shop with three residential units. Mine makes a ton of money. It was poorly advertised. That's how it ended up on Zillow and in my portfolio because it was listed as a one bedroom. Oh. Um, <laughs> it's been, it's real. The commercial space is really hands off for me with the tenant in there. And I've only, I've had two tenants since I've owned it for a couple of years now. They take care of all the maintenance. They take care of the air conditioning, the sidewalks, the landscaping, everything is on the commercial tenant. So with that, I love it, but I'm still going to go with midterms. I think that there's more money to get it there quicker, but my commercial space, when I look at it next to my regular residential, it's super hands-off compared to the rest. Midterm seems like pressing the easy button in a lot of ways. It really does. I'll let you know how it works out. I've got a midterm rental coming up in about two weeks. My son specifically bought a house for a midterm rental that's two blocks from a hospital. 
for exactly that reason. Now he needs to go into the HR department at that hospital with a gift basket and talk to the HR director. Hey, here's my house. I'd love for you to come stay. I'd love for you to check it out. Yeah, you want to get in with these people. Alan keeps talking negatively about his marriage. He'll have to be doing that with his spouse. Bringing the gift basket. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, my no, I was just saying there's, there's other loves prior to meeting my current love. Um, <laughs> but but the answer commercial, I, I'm on this bracket. I'm commercial all day over midterm rentals. The fastest way to make million dollars in commercial is you buy a vacant commercial building and you get it tenanted. And then you do a cash out refi or you sell it. Whether it's storage, you know, empty storage and you get clients, whether it's office, you can make a million dollars really quickly in office if you happen to find that tenant that's going to take over the lease because it's all about how much money it's bringing in is determine the value of that property. So to me, I'm, I'm going to lean with commercial here. It can be very risky depending on your niche that you go for, but that's that's the the way to make money fast in commercial. Mindy, where did I, you officially vote? Where did uh, you come down? I don't think I actually came down anywhere. I think, I think I just made a lot of arguments and didn't say anything. Uh, <laughs> pretty on brand. Like every day with me. Yeah, I was going to say, as we say, Tom, she she Jensened it. Jensened it. <laughs> wow. Oh. wow. I can't believe I have my own term. I'm so honored. Um, this one is actually a really tough one because like Alan said, you can make a lot of money with commercial. If you're going fast, uh, commercial can get you there, but midterm rentals is going to be better than office space, in my opinion. So I'll probably vote commercial with an asterisk because I don't want to vote for commercial office space. I want to vote for commercial uh, residential properties or commercial like uh, storage. I was going to say commercial too. Sorry, Tom. But it was only because the triple net lease possibilities and those do like it's more hands-off because um that like you're still getting a great amount of rent and your hands off but if you were doing those midterm rentals you'll still have to be hands-on i want to throw an asterisk on mine too because you also need a lot of money to get into commercial which was my argument against Uh, foreclosures so uh well tom's shaking his head how much was your pizza place for that was advertised as a one bedroom i got it for 65 65 thousand dollars okay okay take take away the asterisk and i collect over thirty thousand dollars a year from this oh my goodness I know. Is the pizza any good? It, we made it nice. It's no longer pizza. Right. It's, I don't even know what they're doing in there. No, it was a barber, but we have another tenant in there and she pays her rent. So I'm not. That's that's, that's what he, he cares they, about. I had people, they wanted to store marijuana in there as it was legalizing. And I'm like, I don't want that in there. It's going to make my insurance go up. Yeah, you don't want that in there because somebody could rob it and then it makes an unsafe place for the three units above. So but, before we jump off of this, I want to say Tom found this because it was mismarked in, I'm assuming, the MLS. If you um, are looking for properties, at, I'm an agent. I have access to the MLS. I go in there and I do searches all the time. And there are properties that are advertised as one bedrooms when they're five bedrooms or they're a single hmm. unit when it's a duplex. There's I found one house that was advertised as a zero bathroom house. I know for, for sure it's not a zero <laughs> bathroom house there. But when you are setting up a search, when your search, your automatic search is set up for like a minimum of one bathroom then this zero bathroom house isn't going to show up mm. this, you know, so you want to make your searches as, as low as possible, as low minimums as possible. So you can catch all of these weird things that other people are not 
seeing, but having these misentered properties is yeah. a really great way to to snag a an amazing property. So commercial bringing a home with a, a bunch of asterisks. But this is interesting too, guys, because a little foreshadowing for the people playing along at home. That means that we've got commercial against small multifamily. So you have multifamily small versus potentially multifamily big. We've got the other side of the bracket. I'll go house hacking versus short-term rentals. Short-term is going to get you there faster with an asterisk, provided that your property is in an area that allows for short-term rentals. And that will continue to allow for short-term rentals. Um, I did some quick math based on Lauren's numbers of $28,000 a month. That's $336,000 a year. So times three years, you're at a million. Mm-hmm. You are not going to house hack and get a million dollars in three years. Well, how long did it take her to build that though? I mean, in yeah. fairness, she also has the building years. Uh, how many years did oh, she? Oh, well, fine. I think she started 2019, so she's actually scaled quite quickly because she's just been reinvesting into the next property every year, and that's kind of what I did with house hacking, so I can understand both of these. And I think that, Tom, is why this Um, is the 4-5 matchup. This is the closest matchup seed-wise we have. Where do you come down then? Do you come down on the house hacking side? I think that there's so much money in short-term rental that I'm actually probably going to go the short-term rental as well, even though I am a house hacker because I'm trying to get to a million the quickest. And I'm going to go that route versus house hacking. House hacking is going to get you in the least expensive and hopefully get you your mortgage covered. But I don't know that it's going to get you there quicker unless you just buy that right house in that right neighborhood at the right time where it's just going to appreciate like crazy. I don't see that happening. So I'm going to go short term. Wow, do I smell an upset coming, Crystal? Do we have our first upset? I like house hacking and I'll tell you why. You're going to house hack. Then after you get your house hack all nice and pretty, move out of that and then house hack again. So if I'm going to hop house hack, then I guess after what, three years, if I hop a house per year or a house every other year, I think I can make it to yeah, a but million. Look at, but look at how fast Lauren scaled without doing that on her short-term rentals. Like you're talking multiple mm, years, hacking. years and years and years. I think she did. A mix, because I think she house hacked at the beginning. She turned her house hack into turned a short term rental. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Yeah, so she had the ultimate mix right there. Can Some you just t- write house hack slash short term rental? And we have a tie. And we have a tie. So my final what, answer is uh, house hacking. All right, Alan. I'm with Crystal on this. It's house hacking all a day. Tie. You can buy a house. <laughs> all day. All day. Because you can buy a... F- Okay, if you live in a high cost of living area, you can get an FHA loan mm-hmm. up to $2.1 million. And an FHA loan alone means you can put 3.5% down. So you're, you're already acquiring a $2 million asset by house hacking with, with, with 3.5% down, which, what is that, $80,000? Assuming that you've got some rental income, and that's going to change your life. Uh, 10% appreciation. You're, you're already at, you made $200,000. You're making some cash flow. You're putting, got some, that's a huge mortgage payment that's getting principal pay down. And you don't have to worry about regulations, you know, like they're not changing rules mm. that you can't turn this quadruplex into something that's not a quadruplex anymore. Like you're, that's the rules. You're buying it. FHA says it's approved. Short term rentals. It's all cash flow. I think it's oversaturated. I think, you know, another coronavirus where, 
people aren't going on vacation. That, that Don't say this. Don't even yeah, say that. I mean, where are you, got, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah. Like that, that's, that's going to disappear. I think there's going to be a whole, you know, you're competing with hotels and these are hotels that have been around in business for a long time and short-term rental game. I'm on team crystal and, and team house hack right here. Ooh, I am just suddenly remembering all of those TikTok videos and all of those articles about, I hate the rental laws or the rental rules of my short-term rental. So I'm just going back to hotels. Remember how Airbnbs are starting to get so like the, the list of rules. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Oh, by yeah. the way, clean the whole house, even right. though you're paying mm-hmm. a cleaning fee. Start the laundry. Right. That's the one that drives me crazy. I am not on vacation to do sheets and towels. I don't care. Um, I do sweep. I do do the dishes that I'm I use. But I'm not either. I'm not, if I can find the broom <laughs> easily, I'm not hunting for it. But I'm not stripping the bed and I'm not washing your dumb towels. Have enough. Um, ooh, now mm. first to a million... Uh, okay. I think I'm going to change my answer. I'm sorry. <gasps> and I'm changing too. Oh, I got to go with you media. All four of us are just going to go. You yep. Alan Corey for president. Yeah. Over time. Yes. <laughs> he swayed us I'll both. Yes. Oh, I vote. would like that very much, Alan Corey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on board. House hacking defends its honor. And short-term we rentals. might be done. I think it just won the whole. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It, it skipped For, brackets. Yeah, forget the rest. <laughs> now is a really good time to remind everybody that these are all great ways to invest yes, in real estate. Yes, yeah. We're not saying that short-term rentals aren't a good way to invest. It's just house hacking's bad. Well, and uh, you know, over on our Stacking Benjamin show, we talked about how a million dollars isn't what you think it is. Right? That's a forty thousand dollar year lifestyle. Not horrible. But still, a million dollars, you're looking well beyond that. And we've talked about some of these ways of making money. And look at how many times has Tom said, yeah, I do that. Yeah, I do that. Yeah, That's I do that. That's true. <laughs> like, like you can, you could be diversified. Among, yeah, mm-hmm. a bunch of these Crystal, even with your properties, you're, you have vacant land and you have rentals. So diversification for the win. We've got the one that should be the most lopsided here. Active syndication number one against number nine, flipping. But, but man, flipping, Mindy, you're a flipper. I'm a flipper. I can make a lot of money on a flipping house, but I think that active syndication, you can make a lot more. You stand to lose a lot more. I would like to point out that if you are the active syndicator, and I have never been an active syndicator, I have always invested as the LP, not the GP. Uh, you, you, there's a lot of risk that you're taking on and you need to be spot on with your numbers. So if you're going to make a million dollars quickly, I would say active syndication over flipping. Um, the most I have made on a flip is 200 and something thousand dollars. Hell yeah. Uh, and that was over six years. I live there. I, mm-hmm. I do a live in flip, so I didn't pay any taxes mm. at all. That's the flex that I Rock think it star. is. Um, I'm hoping to pay taxes on my latest flip, um, which is great. I would have to make more than $500,000 on this house. And I am hoping to pay taxes. I would love to pay taxes Yay. on this one. But that's still 500000 That is an absolute fluke of buying the grossest smoker house in a nice neighborhood <laughs> and literally touching every single wall. Right before 
coronavirus hit and then the market went mm. through the roof. So it was definitely luck and skill, not just skill. Whereas syndication, I think there's a large amount of luck involved in finding the right property. Andy, while you're talking, I'm thinking this. So Cheryl and I have had one rental house ever. I could go and I could buy a house and I could flip it. I could, I could do that. And, and, and I think I'd know the pathway to do that as a guy who knows a little bit, right? Active syndication. If I will go to all you guys, I'm like, Hey, I've one piece of real estate my entire life. And, uh, I'm thinking about taking a bunch of money from you guys and let's get together and I'll, I'll build the syndication. What are you guys, you guys in, you're going to give me a bunch of money. Hell no, you're not no. giving me crap. Write the check, <laughs> you're not giving me crap. So while I do think active syndication is the fastest way there, I also think the pathway to even get to active syndication status where somebody's going to take you seriously, that's a long time. That's a good that, point. That is a long time. That's I think you really swung my vote, point. Joe. I don't know if you're supposed to bias yeah. the teams. I feel like you, you've, you've like slipped a 20 to the ref here or something. I just want to see number one go down. Let's see number yeah. one go down. It took me 20 years to get into active syndication. But yeah, that, like a million dollars can happen in two to three years. Flipping, you can make a million dollars in two to three years, but you're going to have to be doing five flips at a time you know, constantly. Maybe five flips in a great market at a certain price point, you can make a million dollars in a year. But again, uh, I, I don't like this game that it takes a million dollars to make a million dollars. I sort of want an average investor, maybe a newbie, um, how they get into this. I hate to do this because it, the riches are in active syndication, mm-hmm. but I, I like your point mm-hmm. that to really get people to invest with you, you're going to have to have a ton of experience, probably in flipping, to even get to the point that you can be an active syndicator. So I'm voting flipping. I'll throw that out there. I'm flip. Yeah. Team flip all day. Me too. So we're unanimous. I'm going to cry. Thanks to Joe. Yeah, thank you, Joe. <laughs> Number one goes down. By the way, Fractional <laughs> Investing just filed a protest. Because how come none of you people brought that up when I was going against active syndication? <laughs> like the Fractional Investing team is furious that this came out. this came out so late. So guys, here's what we've got. Only three games left. Number nine surprise flipping against number four house hacking. And then two and three, as expected, make it through to the semifinal commercial against small multifamily. Tom, which one of these mm-hmm. you want to do first? I say commercial versus commercial. commercial. Right? Where do you, where do you yeah. stand? So everyone can't find a pizza shop for sixty five thousand. So I'm gonna go with small multifamily because if you get the right batch of small multifamily, you get four duplexes. Five, you know, five two hundred thousand dollar duplexes, and you house hack a few of them. So, could it be a combo of house hacking into multifamily? Because that's really you could get that right number and that right value real quick with these small multifamily. And I'm telling you, in both markets I'm in, these multifamily are under contract like that. Mm. Even in the the high interest rate, it's just mm. these multifamily are super sought after. Wow! If if they're in a decent area and they're well kept, mm. they're under contract in a couple of days. No pushback from me. I'm I'm a huge fan of multifamily because my first house hack was a duplex, obviously, and I'm ready for more. All right, I'm voting commercial, and this is why it, it all comes down to the way they're appraised. Small multifamily, no matter how much money you're making out of it. It's appraised by what a similar multifamily also sold for. It's a comparison appraisal. With commercial, it's income appraisal, which basically means how much money is coming in 
and that determines the value. So if you are someone who can get expenses down and you can get income up, you're going to be rewarded more in commercial. And that appraisal difference is why I'm going to commercial all day on this one. Can I have no opinion? Like I like them both. <laughs> you abstain. No abstainers. I don't think so. This is the this is the hard abstain. round, Mindy. This this is why you could pay the big bucks to be here. Wow. So, so I think there's good points on both. If we kicked out active syndication last time because it was so hard to get into and it costs a lot of money to get into, I think we should kick out commercial mm-hmm. for costing a lot of money to get into. I think Alan makes a good point on how you can quickly get to a million dollars in equity through commercial versus small multifamily, depending on how big the commercial is. But again, it you Alan said himself, he doesn't want to take a million dollars to make a million dollars. So... I'm going to vote against Alan. I'm sorry, Alan. You're you're not welcome back. (laughs) (laughs) I have the recording link. I'm just going to come on anytime. (laughs) And Mindy, thank you for your last appearance here. It was. Uh, You're welcome. Thanks, Joe. It's been awesome. (laughs) Is that a three to one? I think we got a three to one. It is a three to one. The number three seed, small multifamily, makes it to the final two. Interesting. How about that? That's exciting. And that they're going to be playing an upstart because number one got knocked out in the quarterfinals. So, Alan, house hacking or flipping? I'm going with house hacking. It changed my life. Uh, you know, it, house hacking. I've seen it change so many people's lives. I've seen more lives ruined by flipping. So it's just one of those things where you're flipping. You, it takes a larger skill set. A larger team, a lot of mm-hmm. larger trust, maybe a larger luck factor. And house hacking, it's so low risk and it's so beneficial that I'm gonna have to vote house hacking on this one. I felt like I felt like Alan last time, this is how versatile Mr. Corey is, is that last time he argued in favor of the spreadsheet. Forget everything else, go to the spreadsheet. And this one felt like an emotional plea. It changed my life. <laughs> Unicorns I saw a and, tear, a lone tear. Right? <laughs> Unicorns and rainbows. God bless America and house acting. Flipping is. changed my life. Oh. Uh, however. Give, give us the speech. Well, I I can't disagree with your comment that it takes a special skill set. Mm. On the other hand, if you buy a house hack and it turns out that all of your uh, tenants are horrible, you can just not rent it out. If you do, there's two kinds of house hacks. There's you buy more house than you need and you have roommates or you buy more property than you need and you have other units that you're renting out. So mm-hmm. either one works. If you have a fourplex that you decide you don't want to be a landlord, you can sell it. Like Tom said, those sell quickly all day long. You can decide that this is not for me and you can sell it quickly. Um, if you have more house than you need, you can just live in a big house by yourself. It doesn't have to be this like soul crushing experience. Whereas with a flip, if you buy an ugly house and then you take it to the studs and discover all these problems, you have to fix it up. If you rip it apart, I've seen a lot of houses on the MLS where the flipper started and then stopped. Those houses don't sell 
for anything close to what they bought it for, even if the materials are in there, because owner occupants mm-hmm. aren't going to go and buy those houses. It's going to go to an investor. Investors are not known for paying full price. So I can see Alan's point about house hacking and my vote, even though flipping has changed my life, my vote would be for house <laughs> hacking too. I'm house hack all day. And I've flipped and I've been profitable on all four that I've done. But there was one time that I made $1,500 oh. and I just remember I'm like, that was a sh- a lot of work for $1,500. And I actually didn't even stop on that one. I did one more past it and I, I made 21000 on that one. And I just remember at the closing table, I'm like, he's going to collect 13000 in rent a year. I just did all the hard part and now he's collecting on it. Like this 21000 that I'm getting, it's great. But I'd rather collect thirteen thousand on it for the next ten years, yeah. Instead of getting this one time twenty one thousand. So yes, I am with everyone. I also saw you know when Alan said that he's seen flipping ruin lives. I just remember what it did to that flipper flop couple. Remember them? Like it ruined their marriage. Mm. That was I I don't know. I'm just getting into reality TV. I think they both have their own (laughs) separate reality TV shows now. So uh, they they made a bounce back. (laughs) They do. So they're going to be okay. I'm Team Christina though. This is the, I wish I had a drum roll on here and I do not, but it is the number three and number four that make it to the finals. Number three, small multifamily who took down commercial, who beat out long-term rentals and who in the first round beat note investing against house hacking, who just took out flipping beat short-term rentals. That was a close one. And did it to tax deeds in the first round. So house hacking versus small multifamily. Mindy, what are you thinking? I think most people house hack with a small multifamily. So it's kind of twins going head to head. I would say that first to a million in real estate equity, I'm going to go with house hacking because you can buy this with an owner-occupant loan, so you have low down payment, you can get in, you don't have to spend all of your money on your down payment, live there for a year, buy the next one, move out, move into the next house, live there for a year, move into the next house, live there for a year. You could combine it with my favorite live-in flipping and rehab the house while you're living there for a year, make it nicer, move to the next property, Um, repeat, repeat, repeat. Whereas with a small multifamily, if we're just looking at it as an investment, you have to buy it with 25% down. You have to have a lot of uh, reserves. Your lender is going to want to see a lot of in case your tenants aren't paying. So you need more money to get into small multifamily. If you're just starting out, it's going to be more difficult to uh, gather up all that cash. So house hacking for the win. I second it. Absolutely. And it changed Alan's life, so he's going to say the same thing. Well, well, it's tough because something I, profound. It, it changed my life, but my first love was was small multifamily. But I also married the two. I house hacked a small multifamily. You just mentioned it like the, the best combination is these two together. In a perfect world, it's a tie. They both win. Like you combine these two strategies for riches all day, you're going to skyrocket your wealth. But uh, Mandy laid out the, the same point that I would, and same decision is the yeah house hacking, just because it's the smaller loan, the smaller down payment to get started. And uh, you can rinse and repeat that strategy and accumulate the multifamilies or even single families much quicker than saving up for that 20% down payment. And Crystal, this was your first one too. 
Yeah, same. But it was a duplex. And another thing to add, too, is when you're house hacking, since you'll be owner occupying, there are a lot more programs because not only did I have no money down, I also qualified for a program that helped me bring some of the stuff up to code that wasn't up to code. Back then, the you know porches were falling in Chicago. So there was a special grant program that since I was owner occupied and house hacking, I actually got a construction loan. So I did a live in construction and then half of that loan loan was forgiven, you know, as long as I occupied it for a certain amount of time. But that's another avenue to go like you, because you live there, you need to find out what programs are available to you just by going this house hacking route and then take advantage of all of those and then jump ship to your next and your next and your next. Who would have thought the number four seed wins the day? Number four seed house hacking. Takes it I on. might um, have my actual bracket um, modeled after this one to see what happens. <laughs> yeah, she's got to go halfway through the March Madness. She's got to change everything. Right. Well, let's find out what our guests are doing besides hanging out with us. Tom, thanks for hanging out, man. Where can people find I, you? Um, and what's going on? I'm most active on Twitter. That's how I connected with Crystal and Mindy and Alan. And uh, I'm at the Frugal Gay 11 on Twitter because the Frugal Gay was taken when I tried to sign up. And I can be found on Instagram and TikTok under the same name. And I can also be found through my website, the Frugal Gay or frugalgay.com. Was it just then 1 1 or was, did, did 11 have any significance? It was my favorite number. Now everyone knows that that's my favorite number, so I have to switch to a different number because people will always guess it. Um, but uh, now it's it's comical, all the fake bots that sign up as me, and they'll use LL, and oh, they'll, no. 11's made me a lot more bottable, I guess. And as the account grows, the bots get more creative Tom, Tom, with just the say 11. It's because you own 11 pairs of cargo shorts. I don't own any. I donated those. And obviously you've picked up the donation oh. and brought that back. Because that's our running joke is Alan's fashion is is quite <laughs> horrific. I, I don't, that's funny. I like cargo shorts. You can carry a lot of crap around. Like like, ha- like cash in my pocket for that condo. $10,000. $10, yeah, I thought I thought maybe you would wear them. You'd frame them, though, because that's a big moment. I still have the handwritten receipt because I was so excited and I was so nervous and they all looked at me crazy. And then I think she was surprised when I like pulled out a lot of cash. <laughs> and then like I was trying to find a $1 bill because it was oh all gosh. like hundreds and I bought it for 9501 And I'm like... It's windy, and I'm like handing her different bills, and I'm like, "Oh wait, I do have I have quarters in the car. Can you take those?" And it, it was comical trying to find the last one dollar quarters in the car. Oh. I had to run down and, the street and get four and she quarters. She stayed in there with the money, and she's uncomfortable. Yeah, she wrote me a receipt, and she's waiting for those quarters so she can be done because these guys. It's very aggressive. She's standing there with ten grand in her hand, waiting for you to get four quarters. Four quarters. Four quarters from the car. Mindy Jensen, thank you so much for hanging out with us again. Joe, I love hanging out with Crystal and Alan <laughs> and Tom. It's Saw always it. fun. Saw that Ouch. coming from a mile away. Saw that coming. Hey, Mindy, I shouldn't ask you this, but what's going on with you? I am finishing up a medium-term rental furnishing and getting ready to list that. And I'm just recording more episodes talking about money over at Bigger Pockets Money. And you are Mrs. 1500 on Twitter. My 
original website is 1500days.com. And that is the amount of time that my husband estimated would take him to reach financial independence. And he did it faster than that. And you have to have a name. So I am MRS1500 on Twitter. 11 was taken. And 11 was taken. That's it. We'll link to both uh, Tom and Mindy in our show notes, along with all of our usual stuff, guys. Thanks for playing. All right, guys, back out here in the car on our way back home. Crystal, what do you think? House hacking. I knew it was going to win. Once you weigh all of the options ahead of you, you need to pick what, what's the path of least resistance, I would say. Well, truly, do you think, Ellen, the, the reason for its winning? Because so many of you guys all started there. To me, it's tough because I, I don't really look at it, real estate investing as how can I make a million dollars as fast as possible? So it's a different, through a different lens and a different way to look at, at property. Uh, typically, I look at it as what can it can cash flow? And honestly, I think house hacking would probably win a bracket about what fastest way to cash flow <laughs> property. So uh, it, it mm. is a universal success. It's so low risk and I'm on team house hacking all day and probably in any bracket now that I think about it. Well, Ruth's about to take the right-hand turn and turn into uh, the spot where we all get out of the car, but can't wait till next episode. We'll be back with something regular maybe next time. Crystal, uh, tell everybody what's coming up next episode. We're talking to a veterinarian. Yes. So next week we will have Mike Bug on. And just like me, he's a side hustler in the real estate game. And he actually is doing so well that he was able to cut back on his full-time work hours. Juggling real estate and your job. We'll also talk contractors and more. That's next time at Stacking Deeds. Alan, Crystal, thanks for for playing again. We'll see everybody (laughs) next time back here uh, on the Stacking Deeds show. So what should we have learned today? First, there are lots of different strategies to reaching a million in real estate. Pick one or two and get focused, and you'll be at a million before you know it. And remember your old buddy Doug when that happens. Second, take a lesson from our roundtable. Even within these 16 niches, we highlighted even more niches within niches. Wait a minute, is it is it niches? Niches? What? Well, what? No matter how you pronounce it, Dive in because there's way more to know than can be learned in a 90-minute podcast. But the big lesson, don't bet on the number one seed when talking real estate. Go with whatever brings a tear to Alan Corey's eye. That one's going to be a winner for sure. Thanks to Mindy Jensen for joining us today. Listen to her show, Bigger Pockets Money, wherever you're hearing us right now. Follow Investor Pro Tom Brickman on Twitter. His handle is TheFrugalGay11. We'll also include links for both Tom and Mindy in our show notes at stackingdeeds.net slash show notes. The show is created by Joe Salcihai, Crystal Hammond, and Alan Corey, and was initially the brainchild of Alan Corey, who can be found on Twitter at Real Estate Maxi. Our brilliant editor of today's episode is Jasmine Radler. She has more tricks up her sleeve than the Harlem Globetrotters. Lastly, thanks to Ruth the Realtor for driving us around today. But come on, Ruth, brush your teeth next time. I'm Ruth's Fetched Boy, Doug. We'll run it back next Tuesday right here at Stacking Deeds. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning Because it is 
Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.